Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Hey, um, uh, isn't, it, isn't it crazy when we hit that part of the winter where we're looking forward to it warming up to minus 20? Right? Like, man, this is so messed up. Um, but, but I was thinking, what's worse is that in, in like November, I'm thinking about that point in time when I'll be thinking how awesome it is to warm up to minus 20. Like, I anticipate the nuttiness, and I'm still here. You know, sometimes I worry. What, what is it that I haven't learned? Yeah, anyways, you know, and like, I mean, last night, um, and of course, it's at night, because that's when it happens, right? When it's dark, um, we, we, our pipes froze, our, our um, the drains in all of our kitchen, uh, and I don't know if it's a vent stack issue or whatever, but I figured I'm not getting out there in the dark, going to tackle this. I started messing around in the house and left it so far, no success, but... Today we'll tackle that and get that figured out. Anyway, gotta love winter. All right, um, maybe not so much, but well, what I do love is I do love this series uh, that we've started, and, and um, I guess maybe that's sort of self-evident, seeing as we choose it, um, but I'm excited about it, and I hope that you are too. Uh, we're looking at this 2020 vision series as we start the new year, and us and, and probably you know, half of Christendom, like I said, uh, on January 5th when we launched. Um, it, it's so obvious, the year 2020, 2020 vision, it just lends itself. But I hope that we don't dismiss that in the familiar or in the common, if you will, or in the obvious even, uh, that we don't just kind of uh, disregard what this is all about. Because I think it, it is so significant uh, that we would spend some time, all the time, but just as it lends itself now this year, to, to focus in on God as we begin this year, as we begin this new decade, as we go into the rest of our lives. We have this opportunity to know God and to understand Him, for Him to demonstrate Himself to us. And that as we come to know Him, that we will then grow in our faith, that He will expand us in our faith, that we'll know Him better, that we'll follow Him more closely. And then as we then go into the events of our lives, that then we won't interpret God through the events and the circumstances of our lives, but rather that we will understand and interpret the events of our lives through the lens of God, knowing better who He is, knowing what He's all about, knowing how we can rely and trust in Him. So we began on uh, January 5th with looking at God's goodness and the fact that God is good, that if we were to choose a word to summarize him, that good would be a good, way, good word to choose. 
that he's just good. That's who he is. And as a result of that, then that's how he rolls. He can only do good. When he does it is good. How he does it is good. And that we can always be leaning into him for good in our lives. Even when our lives aren't going in the ways that we would define as good, in the ways that we might hope, that we can trust that he is not withholding his goodness from us, but rather that even in those circumstances, he is working within those circumstances, those situations, to a greater good for us. That that is always his bent, that is always his focus, that is always his priority, and that he is headed in that direction every time. Ryan last week talked about God's promises and the fact that God's promises are sure. That we can trust in them completely. We can take them to the bank. And as such, that then we should know his promises. That we should be familiar with them. And that we should engage with God through those promises that he's given to us. And once again, that as we do, that that will influence and shape us as we live out our lives. Today, we're going to be looking at God's ability, or his power, or his capacity, if you will. And here too, once more, we will find that as we understand that, as we understand better God's ability, his capacity, his power, that that becomes foundational for us in how we live. And that we begin to be able to operate from that perspective as we encounter what we encounter day by day, living out our lives. And that therefore then we can, we can approach it, we can navigate it from that perspective and basis and have that confidence as we go. So before we dive in, let's just once more, one more time, just ask God to come and be with us and to speak to us as we focus on him this morning. Father, this morning, I pray that you would help us now to focus, that we would have 2020 vision in looking at you today by your Spirit, that you would come, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would speak to us in ways that we would understand you better, that we would know you more, that we would have that much more assurance of who you are. And Lord, that as that happens, that then we would change. That as we encounter you, I believe that we have no choice but to change as we sincerely come face to face with with you. And so this morning, I pray that that would be the case, that we would be sincere in in our attempts to open ourselves up to you today and to hear from you today so that you could change us to be more like your son. And I pray these things now in your name, for your sake alone. Amen. All right. Now, as we begin this morning, just again, I need to start with a confession. And that's the fact that I do not have the ability to adequately define for you, express to you God's ability this morning. There is, I just, I don't have that capacity. I don't have that ability myself. And so what I would hope is that this morning this will whet your appetite to actually delve further into this whole subject on your own, that you'll be able to pursue it yourself as we hear testimony from Scripture about God's ability, that that will then lead you to go back and check out these Scriptures themselves and to find the circumstances and the situations in which they were written and the, and the, the context that the, that the writers were talking about and that you'll be able to flesh it out even further. And that will just serve to entrench it more, to solidify it more for you. To that end, then, what we're going to do is I would like to just do a survey, if you will, of Scripture that speaks 
to who God is in his capacity, in his ability, in his power. And we're going to begin, if you will, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 6. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 6. The writer says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. As we come to this verse, as we hear from the writer of Chronicles, we recognize right off the, off the hop a distinction of God. And that, that is, He is our God in heaven. And we are here on earth. And already there's a designation, there's a distinction that we need to understand. That God is already speaking into our lives, even in that little observation. Which is to say that God is above us. That He is looking down on us. And that as a result of that, then that He is over all of the kingdoms and the nations of this earth. That He is over us as people. And we need to understand that. In this way, we understand that the, the, the kingdoms, that earth, that we as people respond to God who is in hierarchy over us. Not God responding to us down, from down here below. And so we begin by understanding that distinction right off the beginning. That our God is the God who reigns from heaven. Daniel Chapter 4, verse 35 continues here in expounding on who God is. Daniel writes in chapter 4, verse 35, All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing, which is not to say that we're inconsequential or of no value to God, or no importance. Don't read that. Here it is this, that when it comes to power, we exercise nothing compared to God. That we have nothing that we bring to the table here. We have nothing that we bring to the party. We're inconsequential. We're moot when it comes to power. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. God does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? So oftentimes, we want to make God play our plan, play our game. But that's not how it works. We don't have that power over him. He is in power over us. His capacity is beyond us. And therefore, we respond to him. And we need to remember that. Job carries on in chapter 26, verses 7 to 14. Job offers us this insight into God's power. He says, God, he, spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, yet the clouds do not burst under their weight. He covers the face of the full moon, spreading his clouds over it. He marks out the horizon on the face of the waters for a boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of the heavens quake, aghast at his rebuke. By his power, he churned up the sea. By his wisdom, he cut Rahab to pieces. By his breath, the skies become fair. His hand pierced the gliding serpent. And these, these are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. Who then, who then can understand the thunder of his power? 
when we understand that these works that God has accomplished are but the faint whisper, the fringes of his ability, then how can we understand it? How could we comprehend it if God were to thunder into our existence with the full extent of his power on display? What do you say after that? But nicely written, Job. Well put. You know, Job writes that he suspends the earth over nothing. Do you know that the earth weighs 13 billion trillion tons? 13 billion trillion tons. Somebody way smarter than I figured that out. And yet here it hangs in the midst of space exactly where God's ordained it to be in exactly the way that it is, is, is ordained to be moving around the sun in an orbit with exact precision and timing. That's our God. Who did that? 13 billion trillion tons hanging exactly in space as he set it out to be. The water suspended in our clouds never burst forth, never break. Do you know how much weight is in the average thunderstorm? I'm not going to tell you. I would encourage you, go home. Do the math. One half inch of water over an acre of ground. Find out how many pounds of water are floating, suspended in the air, all on account of our God's design. Psalm 147 carries on. Verses 4 and 5, the psalmist says this, He determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Do you know, scientists have estimated that within the Milky Way galaxy alone, there are over 300 billion stars in existence. 300 billion stars. And the psalmist says that he determines the number of stars and he calls them each by name. Verse 5, Great is our God and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Psalm 65, verse 6 says, You, speaking of God, you answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your strength, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Indeed it is. Verse 6 says, He formed the mountains by His power. Do you know that the good folks in the Netherlands estimate that to build a mountain 1.2 miles high with the caveat being that it be hollow, that the mountain not be solid like mountains are, but rather that this mountain be 1.2 miles high and hollow. They estimate that the cost of such a project would be 
$230 billion for a hollow mountain. Now, I don't know why they want to do that. That's an interesting question in and of itself. And the United Arab Emirates also considered building a mountain in their country in order to influence rain. They thought that that might be an interesting idea. They might have the cash over there for that. But listen to this. The management center in the United Kingdom estimates that to move an average-sized mountain, 10 miles, that's not to create it. That's assuming that we have the mountain there in front of us, using all of the technological advancements that we have right now. But for one person then, to move that average-sized mountain 10 miles, not create it, just move it, they estimate that it would take just under 3,000 years. But our God spoke. And by the power, by His power, those mountains came into existence. Not just one, not just hollow ones, but all of them solid. Big. Verse 7 says, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves. Again, people smarter than I from the Ocean Energy Council tell us that an average four-foot, ten-second wave striking a coast puts out more than 35,000 horsepower per mile of coastline. 35,000 horsepower of kinetic energy per mile of coastline. I have a B3200 Kubota tractor. It is 32 horsepower. 32. And I'll tell you what, if that little puppy gets going on its own, doing its own thing, I can't handle it. I'm, I'm not going to stop it not going to jump off, throw myself in front of it, slow it down. But our God, by His power, can say, be calm, be still, and the oceans stop. Over 35,000 horsepower in one wave alone. And our God speaks, and it stops. I love Jeremiah. And the way that he sums things up in, verse, in chapter 10, verse 12, Jeremiah says, But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. Now there's a glimpse into the capacity of our God right there. By his power, he made the earth. He founded the world by his wisdom in his intellect. He conceived of it. And by his, uh, by his understanding, then, he set it all in motion. That he accomplished it. Which is, which is not to say that by his mastery of science that he accomplished it, but that in his understanding that he ordained science. 
The whole system, the whole process that he spoke again, and there it would be. There it is, as it is. And we're still trying to figure it out ourselves, trying to begin to comprehend the extent of all of what's in play. Now, carrying on. The writers of Scripture testify to God, but God himself steps in and speaks and testifies of himself. And we'll look at two examples of this, just two out of the many. First of all, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39, God says this, See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal. And no one can deliver out of my hand. God comes along and says, this is who I am. Let me tell you who I am. And Isaiah 43, verse 10 to 13 continues on as God testifies there again to who he is. It says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord. And apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I, and not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from, the, from ancient days I am He. No one can deliver out of my hand when I act. Who can reverse it? God himself comes along and says, this is who I am. But beyond that, what's more, he says, I want you to know me. I want you to recognize me. And by my power, by the things that I have done, I am testifying to you. I am providing you evidence today that I am God. That there is no one like me. That I'm the only one. And here I am. Know me. Understand me. Recognize me. I want you to know me. And God doesn't just talk about who he is. He demonstrates it to us in spades as well both in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. And we're not going to take the time to read these things, but I'll point them out for you, and I'd again encourage you, go home and re-familiarize yourself with them. Don't forget them. Reacquaint yourself with them. God demonstrates his power over nature in walking on the water, which we can read about in John 6, verses 16 to 21. He walks on water. God calms the storm, we read about in Mark 4, verse 39. God demonstrates his power over evil as he casts out demons in Luke 4, verses 31 to 44. We see him exercise his power over the physical as he heals the lame in Matthew 9, verses 1 to 8. And as he heals the sick, Matthew 4, verses 23 and 24. And he demonstrates his power, what's more, over death as he raises Lazarus in John 11, verses 38 to 44. And what's more, as we see him raise his son from the dead, 
for the forgiveness of our sin. In our plight, separated from God by sin, He sent His Son to live that perfect life, then to die in our place, paying the price for our sin and death. And He raises Him up. That power that He demonstrates there on our behalf shows us His capacity and His goodness, His love for us. Don't miss it. God has power over sin and death. Two verses to summarize this morning, if you will. First of all, Psalm 62, verse 11. The psalmist says, One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. When God speaks, we get the emphasis twice. We don't miss it. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. It's underlined for us. Power belongs to you, God. This morning, understand that power rests with God. Aside from Him, there is no power. We bring none of it to the table. The only power that we have, that anyone beyond God has, is as He apportions it for them. As He disseminates it and distributes it according to His plan and His purposes. And in comparison to Him, even as He hands it out to us, we have never, ever close to what He still retains for Himself. Power stems from God. He is the keeper of it. The owner of it. What's more than with Job then, I trust that we will agree as Job writes in 42, chapter 42, verse 2. I know that you, God, can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job sums up. When it comes down to God and His ability, His capacity, His power, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. This morning, church family, I trust that we will take confidence in this today. That as we remind ourselves, as we come to recognize that this is our God, this is His ability, His capacity, that we will take comfort and confidence in in that and, 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 into, and take that into our lives as we live out the events of our lives knowing that we can rest and we can trust in Him because nothing is beyond Him. Our God didn't show up for this gunfight called life with a knife. He will never be outmatched. He will never be outmanned. He will never be outwitted. He will never be outmaneuvered. Bank on it. Rest on it. Act on it. Now this morning, we might just say amen and be done. 
This is the whole enchilada. But before we do that, I think it's important to recognize that while God's power is unlimited, that we can forfeit seeing God's power in our lives on account of our ability, which is to say that we have the ability to prevent God from demonstrating to us His power. That we have the capacity within ourselves to forfeit that demonstration by God on account of how we act and how we proceed. There's different ways that we can do that. But this morning I want to take a look at what I think are the two most common. The two most common ways that we forfeit the opportunity to see a demonstration of God and His power in our lives. The first way is number one, a hardened heart. A hardened heart. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verses 1-9 to is the scripture that we'll look at for this. And you'll maybe re- recognize it right off the hop. It's to do with King Asa, the king of Judah. And it tells us in the preceding chapters that Asa comes to power, comes to, into his, his kingship, and he follows God. That he sets out intentionally to follow God. And he calls on God to defend them. He, he, he names God as a defender of the powerless. You can read about that. As they face a number of enemies and a significant enemy. And as Asa calls on God to defend them, then God does. And they defeat their enemies. And as the story proceeds, we see that over 20 years, then God granted Asa and the kingdom of Judah peace as they followed him. But over those 20 years, somewhere along the line, Asa's heart began to change. And somewhere along the line, he began to take his eyes off of God and he began to rely on himself. And that's the case as we come to chapter 16. Let me read this for you. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. Asa then took the silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and also out of his own palace and sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, Aram, who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said. As there was between my father and your father. See, I am sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. Ben-Hadad agreed with King Asa and sent the commanders of his forces against the towns of Israel. They conquered Ejon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the, and all the store cities of Naphtali. When Basha heard this, he stopped building Ramah and abandoned his work. Then King Asa brought all of the men of Judah, and they carried away from Ramah the stones and timber Basha had been using. With them, he built up Giba and Mizpah. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them out 
them into your hand. Now pay attention here. Verse 9. Don't miss this. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. And then he says to Asa, you've done a foolish thing. And from now on, you will be at war. Church family, today God's eyes are roaming throughout the earth. He's watching from heaven, looking down at us, watching and waiting, looking for those on whose behalf He can strengthen and demonstrate His power. But our hearts need to be right towards Him. We have to make sure that our eyes haven't deviated from God. That we haven't begun to focus on our own abilities, our own strengths, our own capacity. And instead are focused on God. And as we do that, then He will step into our world and demonstrate His power beyond what we might ever think or hope or imagine. Where are you today? Is there something in your world where you're waiting and longing and hoping to see God demonstrate His power? But it's not happening. <coughs> he hasn't shown up in that capacity. Can I ask this morning? Where's your heart? Is your heart right before Him? If we want to see God's power in our lives, we need to guard our hearts. Secondly, we can limit, we can forfeit God's power in our lives by our lack of faith. And here we'll look at Mark 9, verses 20 to 24. And you'll recall that this is the story of the man with the demon-possessed son. And the man comes to the disciples with this problem, this boy who's possessed. But the disciples aren't able to do anything. And so he then comes to Jesus and says, I've got this boy with a problem. And Jesus says, bring him to me. So we pick it up in verse 20. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or, or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus. If you can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Where are you today? Is there something in your life where you are looking for 
a demonstration of the power of God. Where you need His strength because your capacity isn't sufficient. Can I ask you? Is your faith limiting God today? Are you lacking faith? And if so, can I ask another question? Have you prayed for more faith? When was the last time that we've prayed for God to grow our faith, to expand our faith? That's what this man does. He responds, I do believe. Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. That's just a prayer. And talking to God, talking to Jesus, saying, help me overcome my unbelief. Every bit as much, in every bit the same way, just as personally as this man talking to Jesus in this account in Mark, we can come to God today and ask him to remove our unbelief, to grow our faith, to expand our faith. So that we might be then able to lean into him more and experience the demonstrations of his strength in our lives. Really quickly, I want to end today by pointing out two examples that we would do well to follow in trying to become these people with guarded hearts and expanded faith. The first one is Abraham. And you'll remember the story of Abraham. God comes to Abraham and says, Hey, I want you to pick up and move to a different land. And Abraham leans into God and says, Okay, away we go. And then they get there. Well, along the way, eventually, sort of, so to speak, but Along the way, God also says to him, hey, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Your seed is going to be as numerous as the, as the sand in the sea. And Abraham and his wife laugh. They doubt God. And as, as we see them in this progression, from as God initiates his relationship with them, there's ups and there's downs. They succeed and they fail. But over time, Abraham's faith grows to the point where they have this son. God follows through on his promise and they have a son, Isaac. And shortly thereafter, God puts Abraham to a test. He asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, to offer Isaac up as a burnt offering to him. So this morning, let's pick it up there as Abraham takes Isaac and heads out to follow God in this, to obey God in this. Genesis chapter 22, verses 7 and 8. As they're going, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, 
God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Abraham's faith in God grew as he leaned into God and as God demonstrated himself to him. As Abraham brought his heart in line with God, then God showed up in his life in so many different ways to the point where Abraham was ready to follow in obeying God in this sacrifice. I'd encourage you to go home, read the end of the story. Thankfully, he didn't have to follow through. God provided an alternative and it was just a test. But the writer of Hebrews gives us insight into Abraham's mindset at the time. In chapter 11, verse 19, there it says, the writer of Hebrews said this, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham's faith grew to the point where he trusted God, knowing that God could raise Isaac back from the dead if he actually had to follow through. Secondly, let's look quickly at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. You'll recall this story. King Nebuchadnezzar comes along and says, hey, here's the deal. Everybody's going to have to bow down to my statue. We're going to worship my gods. And if you don't, there's going to be problems. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego aren't picking up what Nebuchadnezzar's laying down. They're not, they're not falling for this. They're not going along with the plan. So they opt out. Daniel 3, verses 13 to 18, we carry on, it says this. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of God, gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know. But even if he does not, King we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Oh, that we could be people whose hearts are right towards God and are, whose faith has grown to the point where again they can trust, where we could trust God like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like Abraham, and we can. God will work that out in our lives as we lean into Him. My sister, when she was struggling with cancer, said to me one day, she said, Dude, you don't have to worry. 
You don't have to worry about this whole cancer thing. Because God's going to deliver me one way or the other. Cancer is not what defines me. Cancer is not what's in charge here. I am trusting Him. He'll either deliver me here or He'll deliver me home in heaven. And she's right. Meshach and Abednego are right. God is able. And even if he doesn't, then let's follow him. Let's lean into him because we know his ability. We know his promises are sure. And we know he's good. So there's no thing to fear. Let's pray. Father, this morning would you take us now as your people and would you help us? To not just have heard from you today, but now, Lord, to act on what we've heard today. Grow us in our faith. Help us to guard our hearts that we might know you better, that we might understand and see the demonstrations of your ability and of your capacity in our lives. That our confidence would grow, that our testimonies would swell along with it, and that we would be that much more effective in living out our lives now for you and for the world around us to see that they might come to know you as well. For we ask this all in Christ's name, for his sake alone. Amen. Next week, we're going to look at the last piece of this puzzle from the perspective of our 2020 Visions series as we look at God's sovereignty. Don't miss it. I look forward to seeing you then.